saw that in Jesus, God eliminates the consequences of sin, that he has relieved the guilt, he's relieved the shame and, and hopelessness that are often a, a part of, of sin. Now, today we want to talk about another aspect of the good news of Jesus Christ, and that is the forgiveness of God. Now, when we talk about forgiveness, forgiveness is a part of every healthy relationship. No matter who we are, no matter how we live our lives, uh, all of us have had to deal with, uh, with an area or the idea of forgiveness, whether it's on the receiving end or on the giving end, um, wherever there's sin. I mean, forgiveness is necessary. I mean, sin always creates a mess. And, and we need to come back and really uh, ask God for forgiveness, whether it's someone who sinned against us, whether we sin against others, or whether we even sin against God. That, that, that we, the good news of Jesus Christ is that forgiveness is really part of not just an important theme of the Bible, it is the theme of Scripture. And so today we want to look at Mark chapter 2, verse 1, and this will teach us more about the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So in reverence for God's Word, let's, uh, let's stand together. And this is Jesus. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing him a paralytic carried by four man, men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let the bed down on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they questioned within themselves, he said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to, on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. And so they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated at this time. In this passage, we're going to see that, that Jesus is the hope of all people because he brings the forgiveness of God. And as we look at this passage, hopefully we'll gain a deeper appreciation of this gift of God uh, through Jesus Christ. In this passage, we see that Jesus is going through Capernaum. He's preaching the gospel, and uh, he's inside a house. Most likely, it's Peter's house. And these four men bring this paralytic, and they can't get close, so they climb on the roof, and in... in um, <clears throat> In Israel, the type of roofs that they made was basically they put, uh, sorry, I'm an architect, so I'm going to go through this technically, but they built these, uh, these, um, these posts, and uh, what they would do is they would put kind of like leaves across the top, and then they would cover it with mud, and this would kind of keep the rain out, but they would always have to replace it every year because eventually the, the leaves would kind of rot and the water would break in. So you'd basically tear it up and replace it every year. And so it's not that hard to, to break a roof up. You just stand on the cross beams and then just kind of, you know, lower him down through the roof. And in verse 5, as they lower him down through the roof, and you can imagine Jesus is, is just, you know, speaking, teaching, preaching the gospel, and then this hole opens up, and then this paralytic just kind of, 
you know, comes down on these ropes. It's almost like, you know, this Broadway musical. It's like, oh my goodness, what is this? You know, special, that's special effects in the, uh, is, in the ancient Israel times. But anyways, so, uh, so th this guy comes down, and when Jesus saw this and saw the faith of the people bringing this guy down, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, this actually created a great amount of controversy about the, the identity of Jesus, whether or not he actually can make this statement, whether he has the authority to forgive sin. But before we go to that, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, what is the forgiveness of sin? What is forgiveness? You know, because a lot of times, last week we talked about the consequences of sin. <clears throat> and consequences and forgiveness are uh, a little bit different. Consequences are things like the feeling of guilt and shame and hopelessness that are associated with you know, whenever we commit sin. Whether we're caught, whatever, it doesn't really matter. These are the consequences that come about because of our sin. Forgiveness deals with punishment. So for example, if a <clears throat> criminal is in, uh, let's say he's uh, a murderer and he's in jail and he finally comes to peace with what he has done. And let's say he received Jesus, he, he receives the, the relief of the consequences of his sin. But yet he still must endure the punishment, right? He still is going to get executed. And so uh, forgiveness has to do with punishment, not just consequences, but punishment. And forgiveness actually is... Uh, when Jesus said, your sons are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, forgiveness is the act of withholding the due punishment for an offense or for a wrong. That's actually the, the technical uh, definition of forgiveness. The forgiveness is, 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 is the idea of it's not excusing sin or approving sin or justifying sin. It's a matter of no longer, uh, uh, we no longer credit the person that offense saying, you owe me. Or I, I deserve a, a, a uh, payment back for what you did to me. Or uh, you're going to suffer because of what you did. That's, that's to forgive means to release someone uh, from their debt that they owe and the punishment they deserve. So it doesn't mean, you know, we always say forgive and forget. And, you know, technically, is, can you really forget? I mean, you can't turn off your mind and forget something. Uh, but forgiveness is not about forgetting. Forgiveness is actually willfully um, <clears throat> releasing somebody from that debt. It's an act of the will, not, not, not just emotions. We may say, oh, you know, I don't feel in a very forgiving way. But if we willfully say, but yes, I'm not going to ask for a recompense. I'm not going to ask that this person have a punishment. Or I'm not going to ask that this person pay me what they owe. That's actually forgiveness. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 5 says, Love keeps no record of wrongs. And Romans chapter 4, verse 8 said, Blessed is the man who's against who the Lord does not count his sin. And so what this means, this doesn't mean that God doesn't care about sin, that he turns a blind eye. It doesn't mean that, that um, you know, he doesn't won't do anything because we sin, but rather uh, it means that we are not indebted to pay for how we have sinned against God. 
That if our sin, our sin is an offense against God, and the collective, the collective effect of this sin, as we know, is, is death. That's the punishment that we deserve for sin. And for forgiveness, what God is saying is that punishment that we deserve has been lifted. That he no longer says, I demand a punishment. I'm going to count these sins against you. I'm going to uh, make you clean. I'm going to make you suffer. But rather, forgiveness is the act of holding this punishment as an, or offense. And so we ask, so what does this have to do with God? What is God's forgiveness? What does he do? In verse 6, some of the scribes, they start grumbling what Jesus says. And they say, why does Jesus speak like this? Uh, he's blaspheming. I mean, who can forgive sins but God alone? And what they were doing is they were um, questioning uh, Jesus' authority. This is, a, this is a, a question of authority. For example, let's say um, you come running in. Well, hopefully you won't do this. But let's say you come running into church someday and you say, Pastor Harrison, I'm in so much trouble. And I said, what happened? He said, well, I just stole $200,000 from the bank and the police are right outside and they're coming to get me to bring me to jail. Now, if I say, and they say, what should I do? If you say, what should I do? And if I say, I forgive you, go in peace. And you say, oh, thank you. And you walk out the door. What's going to happen to you? Uh, you probably still be arrested and uh, you probably, probably still go to jail. And you may say, yeah, but, but my pastor just forgave me. He said, he said he forgave me of all my sin and that I could keep the money. But the problem is, is that I have no authority to forgive. See, I, I, the sin was not against me. You didn't take my money. I'm not working for the bank. I'm not authorized by the bank to forgive the debt or the things that you uh, have done. So my pronouncement, if I say you're forgiven of your sins, uh, of, of this thing, go in peace and you don't have to be arrested, uh, it doesn't mean anything because of a lack of authority. And so that's exactly what the scribes and the experts of the law were saying about Jesus. And they were saying, hey, you know, Jesus, we know that sin is ultimately an offense against God. And so God is the only one who can grant forgiveness. In fact, in the Old Testament, it never says that the Messiah can forgive sin. And I was checking this out, and it's true. When you read through the Old Testament, the, proph the prophecies about the Messiah and things like that, uh, the teachings that, that the scribes began to, to talk about the Messiah, the coming king, they said that the Messiah will bring a time of peace, but it's not about the forgiveness of sin, but rather that he will exterminate the godlessness and sin in the land, that he will wipe away sin in the land once and for all. And so they thought of God's kingdom when the, 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 the Jewish mentality of that time was when the Messiah comes, righteous people are going to say, oh, good, we get to go to heaven, we get to rule with Jesus, and all the other people who didn't listen to us and didn't live like us, boy, you're going to get it because the Messiah is here. And so that's how they thought about what the Messiah was going to do. That's what they were expecting for the Messiah to, to do. And, and actually, the whole nation kind of thought that way. They didn't really think that the righteous people didn't think they need forgiveness. And the unrighteous people thought, oh, man, when the Messiah comes, I'm really afraid because I'm going to get it. You know, they didn't think about God, Messiah is going to love me. They think the Messiah is going to kill me, you know, because I'm trying so hard to be righteous and I keep failing. And, man, if the Messiah comes, I'm really in for trouble. And so when Jesus says, uh, I'm the Messiah... And he says, I forgive your sin. This is like a foreign concept to them. They're like, 
what do you mean you're going to forgive sin? That's not what the Messiah is supposed to do. And so, the, so Jesus says to them, he says, um, why do you question this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take your bed, and walk? He's saying, which is it easier to say? Is it easier to make a verbal pronouncement to say your sins are forgiven, or is it easier to provide empirical proof that, that I have the authority to forgive sin? So, so, so they're thinking, hey, Jesus, how are you going to give proof that you have authority to forgive sin? Well, in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, it says that if a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord and it does not come to pass and it does not take place, that means that the message, that this message has not come from the Lord. It's not spoken. So if, if a prophet says something's going to happen and it doesn't happen, that means he's not a prophet from God. He has no authority and whatever he says don't pay attention to it. But if it does come to pass, then he proves that he is a prophet, that he does have authority, and that he does speak from God. And so Jesus is saying, based on what you understand, everyone understands of the law, you guys accept this, that if I can show empirical proof that my words, when I say something's going to happen, and it actually happens, and when you see it happen, that affirms that I am indeed, my words come from God, then you have to accept that I have the power to forgive sin. And so he says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins on earth. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed, went out before all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like now, again, the crowd is thinking, oh, this is incredible. Wow, miracle. This is cool. Uh, and we may think of it, wow, that's a wonderful miracle. Um, he healed somebody. But the, the, the real meaning of this particular passage is, again, about authority. It is saying that Jesus, when he speaks, his word is true. When he says that he has forgiven our sins, actually a quick note here, if you're a Bible scholar, I'm going to throw out a little thing for Bible scholars. This word, this phrase, but that you may know that the Son of God has authority on earth to forgive sins, the, uh, the grammatical structure actually changes. And so what's happening, readers read this and they're like, this is really strange because we can't tell. Is he talking to the scribes? Is he talking to the paralytic? Is he addressing the crowd? Uh, most interpreters believe that this actually was written by Mark himself as the author. It's kind of breaking down that third wall saying, I know you guys are reading this. I know you guys are listening to this. And so I want to tell you that as you're reading this, so that you may know that Jesus has the authority on earth to forgive your sins, so that you know by experience that you're convinced, that you're fully persuaded without a doubt that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins, here's the miracle. Rise up, take your mat, and walk. And does Jesus have the authority to forgive sin? And then the question is, yes, he does. No question, no doubt. It's now, and we said last week, it's like on record, before witnesses, Jesus said, if I can forgive, if I can make this man walk in front of all these people, then I can forgive sin as well. This is a witness to everyone here. And so his authority now is seen he is an agent of God's forgiveness. Uh, what is the basis for God's forgiveness? Faith and obedience. What did those people do to deserve his forgiveness? They didn't do anything. They just believed that God would heal him. 
uh, would heal them. And when he says, pick up your mat and walk, that's immediate obedience. Just get up and, and walk. Uh, another element of God's forgiveness that we see in here, which I thought was really interesting, I just kind of noted this, um, that there's an element of relationship. In verse 5, he says to the paralytic, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Son is a term uh, that, again, it's like a, a good father and a beloved son. It's a sense of, of, of we're related together. So there's a closeness in relationship. That's how he speaks to this paralytic. What the people say, what the uh, scribes say, is they say, what does this man, why does this man speak like that? And it's interesting that the Greek word that they use, actually it's like, who is this guy? Who is this fella who, who presumes to say something like this? It's, it's actually, it's a, it has relational words as well, relational idea as well of this jerk, basically. They're almost saying, who's this jerk that really is, has the audacity to say, your sins are forgiven? And so the, the, the contrast in this passage in the Greek is so um, profound and it's so um, noticeable that Jesus is saying to the paralytic, you're my son, I love you, uh, you're enjoying uh, the forgiveness of God and this new relationship with me. And the scribes saying, to us you're a jerk, to us you're a, an, an idiot. To us, we don't care anything about you, and we're just shocked that you would say something like this. And so the, here, here we see this kind of a sense that, that the moment we receive Jesus as Savior, the moment we receive forgiveness, it's not just a judicial, judicial, not jujitsu, judicial <laughs> um, reminder that our sins are forgiven, but it's the idea that we're into a relationship as well, that Jesus says, we're sons, we're his children. When before we were like, who is this idiot? Who is this jerk? And God has taken us and moved us into a, a different relationship with God through his forgiveness. That's what happens at the moment we receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, there's also kind of a, a small thing here about um, the experiential aspect of God's uh, forgiveness as well. In verse 11, he says to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Again, the way in which it's phrased is really, really interesting because Jesus says immediately, Jesus says exactly, he says, pick up your bed and go home. And then it says, immediately, he picked up his bed and went home or went out. And so it's just this idea of God command, and he immediately did exactly what God says, like right afterwards. And there's this sense that um, if you really think about this, this paralytic, he probably has never stood up for decades or maybe his entire life. He's never been able to pick something up and walk around. He's always had to, you know, whatever. Maybe he can't even move his arms. Maybe he's just lying there. We don't know. But he has never been able to pick up something, walk around, things like that. And yet the text says he immediately obeyed. He immediately stood up, according to Jesus' word, picked up his bedding just like Jesus told him to. And this is kind of a little thing, but I really do believe that here we see this, this idea that forgiveness... Uh, comes with obedience, uh, that the, the power of forgiveness really begins to be worked out as we obey him, as we honor him. 
and, and, and so this naturally leads to the, 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 our next point, our final point is, is how do we actually obey his forgiveness? How do we bring and put his forgiveness in practice? You know, we've been focusing on, on God's forgiveness. And so if you're here and you have never uh, received Jesus Christ as Savior, or maybe you uh, go to church, you believe in God, and you try to follow God and try to do your best, but you never actually prayed and, and put your faith in Jesus Christ. You never confessed your sin before God and said, God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Uh, I believe that he rose from the dead. And I want to follow you and I want to trust you. Um, this is the time now to obey. If you really want to feel and experience the forgiveness of God, the wiping away of sin, the freedom from guilt, from fear, the power of God to do things that you never did before, Jesus is inviting you now to receive him as Savior and to receive this forgiveness through faith. And so if you have not received Jesus as, as Savior, I encourage you to do that now. Now, if you're here and you've received Jesus as faith, as Savior, uh, we want to talk a little bit about forgiveness and how it, for, it relates to forgiving one another. And this, you know, this is kind of the, uh, the challenging part, you know. It's, it's, forgiveness is a, I like this, this kind of quote, forgiveness is a beautiful word when it's granted to you, but it's a challenging word when you grant it to someone else. I mean... That says it all. God has forgiven all of our debts, a debt we cannot pay. We are a recipient of so much forgiveness. So how ought we to forgive one another? Matthew 6.12 says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now this doesn't mean that forgiving others is a way of keeping our salvation, but rather this is the idea that we will not experience the powerful effects of God's forgiveness in our lives if we refuse to express that same forgiveness to others. And I believe that that's true. If we think about, you know, our own lives and we say, well, you know, my life has been really kind of stuck in a rut right now. I just don't feel so good about my life or I'm lacking peace even as a Christian, or, you know, I don't, I don't feel that supernatural joy or the refreshing of the Spirit each day, or I feel like my prayers, you know, Jesus says our prayers can move mountains, can do anything that we're not afraid, you know, but I'm not feeling it, you know, and, and, and so, so why is that? Well, maybe for some of us, we have to look at this area of forgiveness, and we say, well, have I forgiven have, have, I, have I, is there an area in my life where I have refused to forgive people who have hurt me in the past? Where I've refused to let go of the anger and the bitterness and I still think about what they said or what they did? Do I have that self-righteousness that kind of festers inside me saying, you know, they need to change. Do we have a stubbornness or pride that says, I, 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 I can't forgive them? Because these things will, will stop the, the flow of, of, of the power of the Spirit in our lives and the presence of Jesus in our lives. In his book, Horizontal Jesus, Professor Tony Evans, he cites kind of two different types of one another forgiveness. And I like how he does it. He says the first one is called unilateral forgiveness. Unilateral forgiveness involves Forgiving someone who has not asked for forgiveness. 
This could be, you know, maybe someone who has hurt you and has said something to you, uh, has done something to you. Maybe they are strangers and they, they're just out of your life right now and they never said sorry for what they did. And we're like, oh. or maybe uh, there are people that are, are, are no longer alive. But unilateral forgiveness means we forgive them even if they have not apologized, even if they have not repented of the thing that they did to us. Romans 5.8 says, uh, and this is hard, but Romans 5.8 says, God shows his love for us and that while we were sinners, okay, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. That means even before we said, hey, God, I'm a sinner and I, 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 I grieve for my sin and I recognize... Even before that, while I was still a sinner, continuing in my sin, doing my stuff, thinking I'm okay, God gave Jesus to die for me, to die for us. He didn't need us to repent and say sorry for him to begin his acts of forgiveness. When Stephen, when he was about to be stoned to death, he prayed, his last words were to ask God, to forgive his persecutors, to forgive them while they were throwing stones at him. And this is not just like little stones to insult you. These are stones to literally crush your skull, you know, break your arm when it hits you, uh, you know, cut in, in, in your skin. And, and, and while they were stoning him, he said, God, please forgive him, forgive them. So they did not apologize and they did not see what they were doing wrong but yet he still extended forgiveness because he knew that that's what Jesus would call him to do. This is unilateral forgiveness. You know, a lot of times we don't have the opportunity of somebody coming and saying, I'm sorry, I realize what I did was wrong. We don't have that luxury, but God still says you gotta forgive. You have to forgive and it's hard. You know, when, for me, I think of like three different areas where, where this kind of comes into place for me. It's, sometimes it's like one-shot deals, like it's a stranger. Um, you're driving and they, they get mad at you, you know? And they yell at you for, you know, honk at you or give you the finger. And I'm like, you know, I wasn't doing anything. It wasn't my fault. And they, but they drive off really mad at me and I'm like, you know, I wish, you know, not I wish they get an accident, but oh, I wish that, uh, that I could show them that I'm a good person, you know, that I don't drive, I'm not one of those crazy Chinese drivers, you know, whatever, you know. I get, you know, I don't want them to think that way about me, and I get mad because I'm like, they will never know that uh, I'm this nice person. And God says, you got to forgive them. When I'm at the mall or something and somebody's really rude, you know, you're taking too much time. What's wrong with you, you stupid, blah, 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 blah. And that happens, especially now at Christmas time, right? You're just trying to do stuff and somebody gets mad at you, yells at you, says, what's wrong with you, you idiot, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then you walk away thinking, why did that person have to say something like that? And I, I can't, you know, I can't take that that person now is going around thinking that I'm this terrible person and, and you know, probably not even thinking about us anymore. But inside, you know, it's like, oh, we come home and like, I'm still thinking about what that person said to me, how he insulted me, what he said about me that's not true. He made a judgment about me in just five seconds. And he's continuing on that judgment. I have no chance to, to fix that judgment, to reconcile that judgment. 
and, and, and no time to change their minds. And, 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 and God says these are times when we need to give unilateral forgiveness. You're never going to meet them again. You're never going to change their minds. But if you don't forgive, God says in your heart it's going to burn you up. I still remember things that, that people say to me, strangers even sometimes. They were so hurtful. And it's hard to say, I forgive them, knowing I'll never see them again. But God says this is, this is part of forgiveness. And, and Jesus enables us to do this because Jesus did it. An another aspect of, of unilateral forgiveness, and this involves uh, areas where maybe people, you, you do have the opportunity to resolve things, but they won't do it. I mean, somebody at work or, or somebody at school and, and, and you did something to hurt them and, and they're like totally mad at you and they hate you and they're always ragging on you and you're like, you know, let's have lunch together, let's talk about it and you talk and they come back and they're like, I don't really care, you're, you, I just hate you, you know? And no matter what you do, and no matter what you try, you're kind to them, whatever you try to explain to them what you're doing and why you did what you did, and they're still mad. They won't forgive you. They're still angry at you. They're still going to hurt you. And, do, and you say, oh, man, he's never going to ask for forgiveness. She's never going to change. I tried to, I, all year round, I tried to be kind to them and show that I'm a kind person, that I'm willing to, to, to fix up the situation but they don't care. They're just an angry person, maybe. And God says, we still have to forgive. It doesn't matter if they, some, we wish, we pray, God, I wish someday they would realize that I was kind to them, that I didn't mean it, and this is the way. But they may never. And God says, you still have to exercise unilateral forgiveness. You have to forgive them. Because if you don't, it's again, it's going to, burn up inside you as a believer in Jesus Christ. And then the last one, the third one, is, is the most difficult. And those are the long-standing hurts, usually from parents or family. And maybe some parents have passed away already. And maybe they've hurt us, and they don't even know that they've hurt us. And we say it in our hearts. Now, again, for young people, you know, you, high schoolers, you'll say, oh, my parents, man, they always say, don't, they don't understand. Wait till you get older. <laughs> and then you become like 30 and 40 and 50 years old, and you start thinking about your parents. And then you start thinking about what they did. And then it starts to really hurt. I remember we were at a retreat, and we had this whole thing about, you know, writing our own psalms and writing our hurts. And... And everybody who was like 20, in their 20s, were like, okay. And everybody who was in their 40s and 50s were like crying like babies. We were just crying and weeping like babies as we read our poems. And the young people were going, what the heck is going on with these old people? <laughs> Why is that? Because when you're 30, when you're 40, 50 years old, you start thinking about the hurts from a long time ago. You start thinking about how you treated people for so long. You start thinking about, man, my father was never the person that I wanted him to be. Or my mom, I know she tried her best, but. And so it's not a matter of we hate them or we're angry at them or we're, we want something to happen to them. We love them. 
and, 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 and we, we recognize that they did their best, but sometimes we still are unwilling to extend unilateral forgiveness. We are unwilling to say, the way that my parents disappointed me, God, I want to forgive them. I want to let it go, and I don't want that to, to, to hurt me anymore. To have that bitterness. And some people carry a lot of bitterness. Saying, my father was never the person that he was supposed to be. He never did the things that, that I wanted him to do. And he's gone now. But inside, I still hurt. And I'm still angry. And when we say, I think about my children. And I'm, I so hear this so many times. I'm never going to be like my mom. I'm never going to be like my dad. Why do we say that? Because they hurt us. Not because we don't love them. We love them so much. But they hurt us. And so we say, uh, we hold that on. And when we say, I'm never going to be like them, that's unforgiveness. That's saying, Mom and Dad, I'm never going to, I'm always going to hold that against you. I'm always going to remember that. And I'm going to make sure my kids don't have that in their lives. That's not forgiveness, right? Because we still remember. We're still thinking about it. It still hurts. And so the, the idea of unilateral forgiveness is to really say, um, I want to forgive. Now, again, it's not emotional. Forgiveness is not just emotional because, you know, emotion, it takes a long time to, you know, we never get rid of the emotions of the thing. But forgiveness is, is an act of the will. It is a decision to say, God, I'm no longer going to let this be something that I'm going to not forgive. I'm going to say, God, I forgive. Even though I, I'm still hurting, I'm, I forgive. I want to let it go. I want it to go by. I want you to fill me with the love of Jesus Christ. So this type of bitterness and unforgiveness does not hurt me anymore and take away God's glory and the power of the Spirit of God in my life anymore. And that's unilateral forgiveness. That's, that's really saying, and this is very powerful. And kids, just young people, be patient. Wait 10 years, wait 20 years, and you will understand what these things are and what they mean. I mean, I know you're probably suffering with it right now, some of these things, but you will not process it until many years later you will process it and you really feel what what the hurts are from how we grew up and how we were raised you can you can talk to and that's this is discipleship you can talk to anybody on the other side of the room right now and ask them and they'll tell you stories and their fathers and mothers were very good christians very loving christians my parents were very compassionate very loving and very kind but I still carry wounds and hurts because they're not perfect because they have sin. And all of us have it. And so this, this idea of unilateral forgiveness, especially as we think about this forgiveness of Jesus Christ, if, if God can forgive the types of sins that we've committed against him all our lives, we, we also extend that forgiveness to those who have hurt us. And we don't ask for them to come back and say, I'm sorry. We don't ask for them to, to well, I'm not going to do it until they recognize what they did. No. Jesus says, unilateral. We forgive them. The second aspect of forgiveness is what we call transactional. What is called transactional forgiveness. Transactional forgiveness means someone has sinned against you, they confess, and you respond with forgiveness. This is the more common one where, where it's somebody that actually you have the opportunity to do something about, that the offender has truly said uh, he's sorry. And then you have the opportunity to, to make amends. My, when, when Reed and I were getting married, this is a long time ago, and my, we were putting out the guest list, and my mom was like, okay, you've got to invite these people, you've got to invite these people. And I, you know, I find out all these relatives that 
are living in the area that I don't even know who they, I don't even know they were living in the area, you know, and she says, but don't invite these two, if you invite these two sisters, make sure they sit on separate tables, and, you know, if you, you know, do a wedding, you know that there's always those types, you know, it's like mom and dad always tell you who, you know, to seat, you know, make sure they sit on two tables, I go, really, why, he goes, well, they hate each other, <laughs> I go, really, he goes, yeah, well, why, why do they hate each other, he goes, well, because one sister served the other sister fish, I said, yeah. And he said, well, no, the other sister says she knows I hate fish. She did it on purpose. And you know, Asians, Chinese, they held grudges like for 3,000 years. <laughs> I mean, you know, like we're, 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 we're you know, <laughs> really, literally, even when, you know, just like, and so they had a grudge like forever. They literally lived their entire life in that household. They actually lived in a household and they never spoke a word to each other. After that event, my mom said, for years, they lived together. They never spoke a word to each other. They were sisters. They died that way. In the same house. And I, I think about that, and I'm like, oh, man. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is so important for those who live in the same household. For those who live in the household of God, forgiveness is so important. We do not want to live in a household where we're brothers and sisters in Christ and we can't speak to one another anymore. It happens. And it's not right. And that's where the transactional forgiveness is involved. And it can be anything. It can be hurtful words that are spoken at a heated moment. We said something. We, somebody said something to us can be a betrayal of trust. We were counting on somebody and they, they didn't come through. We were expecting something and they made a promise and they forgot about it. Could be they weren't there when we needed them. Wow, I thought they were my friend. And they talked about being my friend and they talked about being there, but man, when I, was, when I was in trouble, they didn't even know. They didn't call me. It could be that they act differently than us or something in a particular, we go in a particular situation and say, why, why, why did that person do that for? Or they, they hurt somebody that's close to us. Why'd they do that? There's so many things that can create a break in a relationship and there's so many things and areas where God is calling us to forgive. Again, it's not talking about just being best friends and pals and things like that. It's about forgiveness. It's about the willful decision to say, I will no longer hold uh, this offense against you and ask you to pay me back someday. I will no longer say, okay, you can never be my friend until you do this. I will never say, um, okay, we're not going to talk until I see some changes. Or I'm not going to treat you nicely because until you start treating me nicely. Because that, that's, that's punishment. Forgiveness is about taking away uh, the punishment that is due. And maybe it's rightfully due. Maybe they did hurt us very badly. But rightfully and rightfully due, we say they owe us something, but we say, okay, but I forgive. I'm not going to ask for anything. Because they're my brother and sister in Christ. And, I, and I'm not even asking them to come to me. I'll go to them and settle it. Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ because there's no punishment 
There's no retribution. There's no vengeance. There's nothing that somebody owes me because they did this to me. That's forgiveness. Now, I did want to make a, a, a little, um, if you want to say caveat here about forgiveness and reconciliation, because forgiveness and reconciliation are actually two different things. And I, I say this because sometimes I don't know who's in the audience or who's in the congregation listening to this, because Sometimes there are those, and I'm not saying anybody here, but there are those that are abusive or there are those that continue to hurt no matter whether we forgive or whether we reconcile or not. And forgiveness opens the door for restoration and rec reconciliation, but reconciliation, full reconciliation and restoration does not fully occur until there is repentance. Now, what does this mean? This means, for example, um, sorry, uh, and I'll go to extreme example. Let's say an alcoholic. You're married to an alcoholic. And that alcoholic comes home every day, and he beats you. And he's very angry. And then when he's sober, he says, I'm so sorry, dear. I didn't mean to do that. I'm so, so sorry. Please take me back. And the wife says, okay, I forgive you. I'll take you back. And then the husband again goes out, gets drunk, loses money gambling, comes back, beats up his wife, and says, oh, I'm so sorry. Please take me back. And the wife says, I forgive you. I'll take you back. And it goes on and on for years and years and years. That's not right. That's not forgiveness. That's not what God is asking us to do. He is asking us to forgive, meaning when, like a husband says, oh, I'm really sorry. And maybe he really feels that way. He means it when he says, I'm sorry. And when the wife says, I forgive you, she truly is forgiving him, saying, I forgive you. I'm not going to ask you to make up for all these times that you hurt me. That's a forgiveness. But we are not going to reconcile until you change. See the difference? Until you show repentance, changing hurtful behavior, I will forgive you, but we will not reconcile. Reconciliation requires repentance. And so in the same way as we think about this, and this is something we have to just think about very carefully, is the idea that sometimes people will emotionally abuse us or whatever, and we say, does forgiveness mean that I just have to keep loving them and be their best friend? No, it does not. It does mean you have to forgive. When they confess and they confess their sin genuinely, even though they don't change, we know that, hey, they are really sorry. They are really, really sorry. We forgive right away. We don't withhold forgiveness. That's what Jesus said. Don't withhold forgiveness. Always forgive them. We don't say you owe me anything, anything like that. But God gives us that little space to move around. That if that individual continues to hurt us without repenting, that we don't have to say, well, okay, we're best friends right now. We're, we're going to reconcile and be in a good relationship. That there needs to be a longer process before that relationship is actually healed and restored. That we, we make no um, thoughts that, oh, once we're forgiven and once we talked it out, now we're going to be all great and everything. It's just like the abuser and his wife. Oh, he said, sorry, I forgive him. Everything's going to be fine again. And we know that's not right. That's not what's going to happen until he actually changes. 
And so true reconciliation comes when there's change. And in the same way, forgiveness opens the door for reconciliation and restoration. But however, full reconciliation, full restoration does not occur until repentance, until there's time, until uh, there's change. And, and, and these are the things that, 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 that we know and trust and hope that there will be together as a church together. And so again, as we go through this, God shows his love for us, and then while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. This is the love of Jesus Christ. This is the forgiveness of God. And as we approach Christmas, as we think about Jesus as the good news, we think about Jesus as the one who forgave. We think about Jesus as the one who can give us the ability to forgive, even unilaterally, even to those that have hurt us so deeply without even knowing it. And this is, this is the good news of Christmas, that, that, that we can that we can feel that freedom from the burden of unforgiveness and bitterness. So let's go ahead and let's bow in prayer as we think about, as we get ready and we think about our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll keep the verse up on the board, please. Keep the verse up. You just pray. 